turn to the book of Proverbs. That's where we have been for the last couple weeks. It's where we're going to be throughout the fall. Um, here come some Bibles. If you need a Bible, just slip up your hand. Proverbs chapter 4. If you're new to the Bible, just open it up right to the middle of the book, and you'll land right around Proverbs. You'll probably land in the Psalms. Just turn to the right, and you will find the book of wisdom called Proverbs. Proverbs chapter 4. Let me read to you this chapter, and then we are going to dive in together as a church family. Hear, O sons, a father's instruction, and be attentive that you might gain insight. For I give you good precepts. Do not forsake my teaching. When I was a son, my father, tender, the only one in the sight of my mother, he, he taught me. And he said to me, let your heart hold fast my words. Keep my commandments and live. Get wisdom. Get insight. Do not forget and do not turn away from the words of my mouth. Do not forsake her and she will keep you. Love her and she will guard you. The beginning of wisdom is this. Get wisdom. And whatever you get, get insight. Praise her highly and she will exalt you. She will honor you if you embrace her. She will place on your head a graceful garland. She will bestow on you a beautiful crown. Hear my son and accept my words that the years of your life might be many. I have taught you the way of wisdom. I have led you in the paths of righteousness. When you walk, your step will not be hampered. And if you run, you will not stumble. Keep hold of instruction. Do not let go. Guard her, for she is your life. Do not enter the path of the wicked and do not walk in the way of evil. Avoid it. Do not go on it. Turn away from it and pass on. For they cannot sleep unless they have done wrong. They are robbed of sleep unless they have made someone else stumble. For they eat the bread of wickedness and they drink the wine of violence. But the path of the righteous is like the light of dawn, which shines brighter and brighter until full day. The way of the wicked is like deep darkness. They do not know over what they stumble. My son, be attentive to my words. Incline your ear to my sayings. Let them not escape from your sight. Keep them within your heart, for they are life to those who find them. And healing to their flesh. Keep your heart with vigilance, for from it flows the springs of life. Put away from you crooked speech and put devious talk far from you. Let your eyes look directly forward and your gaze be straight before you. Ponder the path of your feet. Then all your ways will be sure. Do not swerve to the right or to the left. Turn your foot away from evil. Let's pray. Father, we are a people that want to be on the road to life this morning. I can only imagine that the reason each one of us is here is uh, simply for that purpose. Wherever we're at on our spiritual journey, whatever we believe about you, whatever we believe about ourselves, we want to be on the road to life and we're seeking. Father, we ask that we find this morning. May we find this road that leads to life, and may we see Christ as the destination. Open up these, this proverb to us. Let us have insight and understanding. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Everyone is on a 
road called life. Some roads are long, some roads are short, and they end quickly and abruptly. But your life is being traveled, uh, and it is traveled as a road. Meaning, even if your life seems paused right now, you seem to be in a, in a state of, I don't know, discontentment, uh, stagnant. You're still moving down the road. Uh, there, there, there is a destination at the end of the road. And every day, you are one day closer to that destination, regardless of what's currently happening in your life. Meaning, you can't stop traveling this road. Now, in this diverse, beautifully diverse world that we live in with all the options before us, thousands of career options, you could go to school, you don't have to go to school, you can get married, you could stay single. I mean, in America, you can pretty much... Make, make your path. We, we tend to believe that the roads then are many. That there are many roads and we're all traveling our own unique individual road. Here's what the Bible says about this road that we're traveling. All right, For every single one of us here, there are only two roads. So regardless of your state of life, regardless of whether life seems like it's banging or whether it seems like it's stagnant, regardless of the career that you have or don't have, the marriage that you have or don't have, regardless of all of these things, there are really only two roads to life, or in life. The Bible calls them all sorts of things and images, but for our purpose today, we're going to call, it, call these two roads the road to life and the road to death. Meaning every single person in this room is on one of these two roads. Everybody in the city of Baltimore, everybody in the world is traveling down one of these two roads. Now, if you are a Christian or if you claim to be a Christian, you call yourself a Christian, this morning I want you to examine yourself and ask yourself, am I really on the road to life? And then secondly, I want you to see that if you are on the road to life, how you might stay on the road to life. And if you're not a Christian, we're glad that you're here and my hope, my goal this morning is to paint a picture of the road to life that is so beautiful that you will find Christ to be a glorious Savior this morning. What we see in this passage are three realities to this pathway called life. The, 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 the idea of a road to life or a road to death is a theme that's reoccurring all through Proverbs. We've already encountered it. And here, chapter 4 just goes deep into the road to life. It's actually a beautiful chapter as a result and I want to draw out of this three realities of this road to life. The first one is this. The, the road to life, a.k.a., everybody say wisdom. wisdom. All right, let's just get something clear. When I say road to life, I'm also talking about wisdom. All right? This is how the Proverbs works. All right? Road to life. With, the, the road to life must be Loved. Everybody say loved. The road to life must be loved. Look at verse 4. In verse 4 we see this. He taught me and he said to me, let your heart hold fast to my words. This whole idea of 
holding fast, this relentless clinging. In verse 6, we see these verbs, love her, wisdom, the road to life, prize her or cherish her. We are commanded to love wisdom. We are commanded to love the road to life. Now, you might say, why? Why are we commanded to love wisdom? I mean, I could see going after wisdom, attaining wisdom, but why do I have to have certain affections toward wisdom? Why do I have to cherish this road to life? Well, we see here three reasons we should love wisdom. The first is this. Wisdom is very old. We love this road to life because she is an old road. What do I mean mean by that? Look at verses 1 through 4. We see here as this chapter starts out that that this sage that's giving us all of this wisdom, that he's not a uh, cold professor, but he's actually a loving father. And he's sort of giving this information to his son because he loves his son. But what we see here in verse uh, 3 and 4 is this. The father says, look, when I was a boy, when I was like you, my father taught me these things. Meaning, oh, what I'm giving to you is, is not something that's novel. It's not something that's new. It's not something that Solomon just sat in his study in the palace and, and, and created. But what, what he's saying here is this, is that the wisdom that he has received and is giving to us is a generational, generationally passed down kind of knowledge. I Meaning it's old. This is something, this, this, this isn't a fad. You see, the, the readers for his day very well could have written it off as faddish. You know, they get this book of the Proverbs and they say, that's just, that's like the latest fad in Israel. Everybody's reading the Proverbs now, right? Right here, he's dispelling the faddish myth that could have come along with this, saying, look, this, these aren't novel ideas. This is like an antique that is valuable, that we are passing on from generation to generation. I, I uh, love reading Books, as you might know, I love reading uh, books written by contemporary new authors. But what I love even more than that is reading books written by dead guys. And I'll explain why. Uh, One author that I used to read and enjoy has since uh, renounced the Orthodox Christian faith. Another author that I used to read and enjoy has since uh, uh, lost his belief in the church. Uh, but when you read guys and, 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 and girls from 100 years ago, from 400 years ago, 800 years ago, all right, a thousand, this is, these, these are truths which have withstood the test of time. Like this is old stuff that, that people have critiqued and and generations have said, yes, this is good. So we read St. Augustine, or we read uh, Sibbs, or Watson, or Spurgeon. Like, these are, these are uh, writers who have been proven trustworthy and faithful. Now, this is how wisdom works. You see, wisdom isn't like one of these theological fads that pops up, but wisdom is something that is passed down from one generation to the other, from from uh, Abraham to Isaac to Isaiah to Jesus to Paul to uh, Augustine to 
uh, let's go on, Anselm, to Sibs, to Spurgeon, to my own grandparents, to me, to you. Like, this is how wisdom works. It is something that's old and something that is lovely, something that is to be cherished. Meaning this, beware of fads. Be weary of what is theologically popular. There are all sorts of people today, of course, trying to reinvent the Christian faith and trying to make it something that it has yet never been. Listen, you read any church history, you you find that that's not new either. People have been doing that for years, ever since the faith began with Christ uh, and the church there have been people seeking to reinvent it. Look, look, theological fads always come and they always fade. Cling to what is old, what is trusted, what is, what is, what is past the, the test of time. This is why we read creeds together often as a church. They're written by man, they're not inspired. But it shows us that our faith is an old faith. Our, the road that we walk is an old Road. So let's cherish the, this road to life, all right, because it is an old, trustworthy road. Secondly, we see that wisdom must be loved because she is costly. Look at verse 7. The beginning of wisdom is this, get wisdom. Now, at first, that seems redundant, all right? The beginning of if, if you want to get wisdom, this is, how you, this is where you begin, get it. Until we look a little bit closer, that word get right there is the word purchase. Literally means purchase. So the beginning of wisdom, then we could, we could translate it this way, the beginning of wisdom is to purchase wisdom. All right, let's go on. And whatever you get or purchase, whatever you purchase, get insight, which is a word that's used synonymously with wisdom. The NIV translates that line, though it costs you all that you have, get wisdom. Meaning wisdom is costly. I think of that parable that Jesus told of the man who found a buried treasure in a field. Remember this parable? And what does he do? He sells all that he has. It's a costly treasure. It costs him all that he owns. So he he puts it all on Craigslist and he sells it all so he can have the money to now buy this buried treasure. This This is wisdom. Wisdom is very costly. It costs you, listen, all that you are. It costs you uh, your, your, your fleshly desires. It costs you uh, leaning into your own understanding. It costs you your commitment to sin. It costs you everything that you are. Wisdom is very costly, but check this out. This is the third reason we should love it. Wisdom is always worth it. So while wisdom is costly, while it, is, it costs to walk this road of life, wisdom is always worth it. Now let's just pause for a brief moment here. The, the cost of wisdom is a continual kind of cost. The beginning of wisdom is getting wisdom, meaning... Uh, you, you want to walk down this road of life. You want to live a life of wisdom. It is a continual kind of purchase. Meaning wisdom is not something that we just purchase once and for all. It's not something that we just attain and add on to our personalities and we have forever. Let me illustrate this through the life of Solomon himself. I was asked a great question earlier this week, and it was this. Uh, if, um, if Solomon turned away from God, 
if Solomon ended his life in misery, how can we trust wisdom? And here's the answer. In 1 Kings 11, it says this. It says that Solomon married all these uh, women of different gods, and as a result, he began to worship their gods, and he, his heart, it says, was turned away from God. So we see that even the writer of this book eventually turned away from wisdom. So wisdom is not something that we achieve and then always keep, but rather it is something that we, we seek after every day, every hour of every day. You may know this old song, I need thee every hour. If I was a singer, I would sing it for you. Be glad that I'm not singing it for you, that is. I need thee, oh, I need thee, every hour I need thee. You know, the only change I would add to that song is this, I need thee every minute. Every minute I need thee. Meaning it takes, it don't, it takes five minutes to destroy your life. It doesn't take long. Every minute of every hour, of every day, of every week, we must be seeking after the wisdom of God to keep us from slipping off of this path to life. It is very costly, but it is worth it. It is worth it. Let me show you how it is worth it. Look at verse, verse 8. Prize her. Why? There's an incentive. Because she will honor you. She will exalt you. Verse 9, she will make you beautiful. So we go, going back to this, this parable of the field, uh, this man puts on Craigslist all that he owns, sells it all, uh, purchases the field, and guess what? It, it was worth it. I mean, gains everything. He, now that he has lost everything, he has gained the treasure that was hidden of great value. So wisdom costs you everything, but you gain life. So it is always worth the cost. My point here is this. Wisdom is not optional for the believer. Walking the road to life is not optional. If we hate the wisdom of God, we hate Christ. We hate the wisdom of God, we hate God's Word. So we love wisdom, and we love this road to life. All right, secondly, the second truth here is this. The road to life has competition. Remember I said there wasn't just one road, was there? There are two roads. This road to life does have competition, and by the way, this competition is sneaky. This competition is enticing, but this competition is a waste. Let me show you. Let me show you how it's sneaky. Look at verses 11 and 12. It says, I've taught you wisdom. Keep on the path. Verse 11, you will have no stumbling. How? Here's the secret in verse 13. You must keep hold of wisdom. Do not let go. Guard her, for she is her life. Now, let's ask this question. Why would we need to guard wisdom? It's because the competition is sneaky. The competition sneaks up on you. Meaning nobody says, today I think I'm going to ruin my life. 
nobody's sitting on their couch and they say, today I'm going to turn away from Jesus. No, it sneaks, it sneaks up on you. In the middle of the night, when you're sleeping the sleep of spiritual laziness, the competition is sneaky. Also, the competition is enticing. And I guess this is why it's sneaky, right? Is because it's actually enticing. Meaning, in the moment, the competition, the other road actually looks simply better than the road to life. Where do we see this? Look at verse 14. Do not enter the path of the wicked. Do not walk in the way of the wicked. Avoid it. Do not go on it. Turn away from it. Pass on. Why is this father uh, giving us this exhortation with such passion? Why is he uh, calling us, warning us to avoid it, to not walk on it, to turn away from it, to go on without it? Why? It's because the father knows that this road is enticing. It looks good. Jesus said this, Wide is the gate, and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter it. But to life the gate is narrow, and the road is hard. The husband who commits adultery didn't just simply decide in a moment, I'm going to commit adultery. But rather, in the moment, the road to destruction simply looked better than the road to life. Simply looked better. It was more enticing. The person who has a commitment to pornography often hates the commitment that they have to pornography. But in the moment, indulging simply looks better. It's enticing. The person who falls away from Jesus doesn't simply decide, I'm going to today fall away from Jesus. But week after week, other things seem more important. Sunday after Sunday, a sunny day or a picnic in the park seem more important than gathering with the church. And over time, this person slips. Other things just seemed more enticing than the commitment to the road to life. Look, this, there, there is competition. This competition is sneaky, and this competition is enticing. It looks very good. But, thankfully, the Bible dispels the myth of enticement. And we see that the competition is a waste. Look at the comparison here in these verses. In verse 19, we see that the, the competition or the road to death comes with a deep darkness. Let me read it to you. The way of the wicked is like a deep darkness. They do not know over what they stumble. Meaning as uh, what once looked enticing, now that you're walking down this road, uh, no longer feels as enticing as it once did. You're stumbling, but here's, the, here's the, the reality. You don't know why you're stumbling. I mean, you keep falling into uh, despair. You're stumbling in every aspect of your life. There is coldness and darkness and, and a hardness to your heart and you don't know why. And so you only go deeper down this dark pathway. There is a darkness on this road in this life and it creates a stumbling. 
and you can't see over what you are stumbling. But let's compare this now to the road to life. Look at verse 18. But the path of the righteous is like the light of dawn, which shines brighter and brighter until noonday. Meaning, meaning uh, as we begin this road to life, there is a certain brightness to it. And that brightness only gets brighter as the sun rises to the noon position. Listen, there is a brightness to the Christian life. When we are walking in the wisdom of God and we are walking on the path to Christ, there is a brightness that can only be explained by experiencing it. My dad in uh, the late 1970s, he was a hippie, all right? That's how I'm going to preface this story. In the late 1970s, my dad wrote a letter to his girlfriend, who is now my mom. And in the letter, he said, I can see clearly now. The rain is gone. It's going to be a bright, 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 sunshiny day. Now, why did my dad write that? Well, it's because after a decade of walking this road to death, after a decade of darkness, a decade of uh, all kinds of uh, commitments to sin, a decade of, of, of a commitment to substance abuse, uh, selling drugs, living, living the life, quote-unquote. He realized how dark it really was, and by God's grace found himself on his knees in repentance. Amen. And the only uh, way he could explain it was this. I can see clearly now. The rain is gone. It's going to be a bright, 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 sunshiny day. And many of you have experienced that same brightness, haven't you? But now here's the catch. Day to day, walking the road to life doesn't always feel bright, does it? And see, this is again the sneakiness and the enticement of the road to, to death. The road to death looks at times brighter. The road to life doesn't always feel bright. As a matter of fact, Jesus himself said that in this world, the wicked have their reward. Meaning often those traveling the road to death have a better life in this world. Jesus also said that in this world, the faithful will have trials and tribulations and troubles. The road to life doesn't always feel bright. But those who are traveling the road to life, a life that is shaped by the wisdom of God, they find that there is a brightness. There is a joy to life through the trials in the midst of suffering. There is no comparison between these two roads. So where do we begin? How do we travel this road to life? How do we make sure that we're on the road to life? How do we stay on the road to life? Well, here's how. The road to life begins with a changed heart. Look at verse 20 and 21. We see here that, that, that wisdom first shapes the heart. Look at verse 21. It says, Let them not escape from your sight these words, these, these instructions of wisdom. It says, Keep them within your heart. Keep them within your heart. Wisdom first shapes the heart before it shapes the head. This is a recurring theme throughout Proverbs. This isn't about head knowledge. This is about a shaping of 
your heart. And this, this idea of keep them, that is a word for guard them in your heart. Let me explain it this way. Uh, some of you might have an alarm system in your house, like ADT. My wife wants one, but sometimes I think the alarm systems are more of a headache than, than good, but we might get one someday. Um, at any, anyway, <laughs> here, here's my point. Um, wisdom acts as an alarm system for your heart. All right, so robbers come into your heart to steal your joy, to uh, convince you of lies. All right, the, the, as, as the road to death looks enticing, it is enticing. And as you, your heart begins to, uh, to, be, to be pulled toward the road to death, wisdom acts as an alarm system for your heart. All right, it says no. This is, this, is, uh, this is a robber here to steal your joy, here to remove the brightness from life, not increase it. So wisdom comes in as an alarm system for your heart, and it shapes your heart. Now secondly, what we see here is that after wisdom shapes your heart, now your heart shapes your life. Look at verse, uh, look at verse 22. For they are life to those who find them. They are healing to their flesh. Keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it, your heart, flows the springs of life. Ray Ortland put it this way. He says, life does not flow from the outside in, but life flows from the inside out. You see, the legalist believes that uh, their spiritual change will come through sitting in the bathwaters of a good book or the bathwaters of new relationships or the bathwaters of a, a better environment. Meaning, we can change sort of the external, and if I change my external environment, then I will be able to change my internal environment. And so we constantly go looking for something else, a new city or a new church or new friends, new whatever. That's not, that's not the way spiritual change happens. Spiritual change happens in the opposite way. It starts not with what on the, is, is on the outside, but rather it starts with what is on the inside. So how do we change? Well, we change through having a heart that has changed. And that changes our life. John Piper, he said, uh, 95% of the decisions we make in life are instantaneous uh, thoughtless decisions. Meaning, uh, after we're done here, we're going to have coffee or whatever, we're going to be hanging out, and you're going to be speaking words. Are you thinking about the words you're speaking? Of course not. You're just, you're just talking and you keep going, all right? You're putting verbs and nouns together, and that's okay. That's what we do. We, we live life uh, 95% of the time without much thought. So if somebody comes along and they say, well, you know what your problem is? You don't think before you act. The answer is, is well, neither do you. It's impossible to think before every single action. 95%, just think of it roughly, of what we do is just simply thoughtless. Now, that means that your, your life is not shaped by what's up here, by what you know in your head. Your life is shaped by what is here, by what comes from the heart. So then how do you change your life? You change your life through having your heart changed. 
transformed. Wisdom then shapes your heart. And your heart then shapes life. Verse 22. Or verse 21. They are life to those who find Him. They are healing to their flesh. The heart is the first bit of flesh that is changed by wisdom. Now, good news. Jesus died for your heart. All right? The gospel is not a posture of sort of like saying, what can I do for Jesus? How can I achieve this change? I mean, who in this room can change your heart? Nobody. Only Christ. The good news is that Jesus died to give you a new heart, to change your heart, to wash your heart, to cleanse your heart, to take your heart of stone and melt it into something that is soft and malleable and beautiful. Jesus changes your heart, and as Jesus changes your heart, He dies for your heart, we also realize that He died for all of us. For all, I mean, every part of my being. Let me read these last couple verses to you. He says, uh, put away from you then crooked speech. Put devious talk far from you. Let your eyes look directly forward. Your gaze be straight before you. Ponder the path of your feet. And let all of your ways be sure. Do not swerve to the right or to the left. Turn your foot away from evil. Let me illustrate these verses in this way. Everybody, if you're right-handed, put your right hand in front of you. All right, just look at it. If you're left-handed, put your left hand in front of you. All right? Um, You can do a lot of things with that hand, can't you? Everybody looking? Well, you guys both right-handed and (laughs) left-handed? I just, just, just called you out. <laughs> you can do a lot of things with that hand. All right, listen. Um, Jesus died so this hand might live as a living sacrifice for Christ. Meaning everything you do, you can put your hands down. Everything you do with your hand, all right, everything you do with your hand is, is to be done with the reality that Jesus owns your hand. He died for your hand. He's transforming your heart so your hands can be used as living sacrifices for Christ. We go on in, in these, these verses. We see uh, in verse 24, it talks about our mouths. Now, you can't put your mouth in front of you, so don't try. But think about all the words that you can say with your mouth. Words to build up, words to, words to destroy. Jesus died for your mouth. Jesus owns your mouth. And so we can use our mouths then as living sacrifices for Christ. In verse 25, we see the same thing about our eyes. We can look at many things with our eyes. But Jesus died for our eyes. Our feet, in verse 26, we can go many places with our feet. But Jesus died for our feet. Jesus owns all of you. Friends, when we're talking about the road to life, we're really just talking about Jesus. We're talking about the Christ-like life. The life that God has given you through His Son, defeating the power of sin in your life on the cross, forgiving you of your sins, giving you a new heart, transforming you. And in 2 Corinthians, it says that you are a new creation. 1 John, all in Christ, abide in Christ, and they produce fruit. Meaning there is nobody who's a, who's a Christian that doesn't change. The gospel isn't, like I was saying, isn't something that we, uh, we, that we go after. It's, it's not something that we do for Jesus. It's, we're, in a, we're in a posture of receiving when it comes to the gospel. We receive what Christ has done for us. 
We receive the redemption of our souls through Christ's work on the cross. And then we live all of our life as a living sacrifice for Christ. Jesus is the road to life. Jesus is also the destination at the end of that road. Are you moving toward Christ this morning? Are you on the only road that will lead you to life? This road must be cherished. This road must be embraced. There is competition, but the competition is a waste. Traveling this road is costly, but Jesus is worth it. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for this book of Proverbs. We ask that that You take these truths that we find in this chapter and uh, root them in our lives, change our hearts. We are all on this process of sanctification. There are aspects, places, deep within our hearts that are still cold, that are still hard. God, would You change our hearts this morning? Give us that grace. And let us live lives of living sacrifices to You. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's all stand together.